Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. And on this edition, preserving that tradition and history through the iconic Irish boat, the Curragh. There's enough interest and enough activity relating to Curraghs that's going around, in, you know, around the entire island of Ireland. But no one is connecting it together and it's very fragmented. No one centrally is looking after this. The Curraghs, a great part of Irish maritime tradition, and so are the offshore islands where there's good news from Aaron Moore. The Island Community Council has started a Bring Them Home campaign that has exceeded their expectations. They have received literally hundreds of inquiries about moving to the beautiful Donegal Island. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, a reflective radio show about the sea coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yole on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland. The Curragh is truly Ireland's iconic boat. From the paintings of Robert O'Flaherty's classic film Man of Arran, through photographs and films, the Curragh identifies Irishness in a way few other symbols achieve. But there has been some perception of it as frozen in time, an icon of the past, definitely not. And a new national association has been founded to ensure its protection and its future. A national conference about the Curragh, its identity, antiquity and sustainability was held in Cork at the annual Maritime Gathering Seafest and the Cork Harbour Festival. It was a stimulating event, attended by people from all over the country and with a delegation from Norway giving advice about how that country has protected the culture of its historic vessels. There was lengthy debate and discussion about ensuring the future of the Curraghs, led by the new Irish Curragh Association, about which Martin O'Donoghue, who chaired the conference, told me. It's still a nascent association um, and we're, I suppose we're evolving in terms of um, who's involved and what shape it will take. But it was born out of the summer school we had last year as part of the Cork Harbour Festival where we decided that there's, there's enough interest and enough activity relating to Corks that's going around, in, you know, around the entire island of Ireland but no one is connecting it together and it's very fragmented. No one centrally is looking after this. So we asked the question, if Mehilmara didn't exist tomorrow or if the West Curragh Club suddenly, you know, collapsed inwards. Then, you know, you have you have a huge vacuum, and um, who who would then sustain the building, rowing, knowledge, heritage of of Curragh's? Um, so we asked ourselves that question, and um, you know, God forbid something would happen if you have these organisations you have and are the ones that are dotted around the coast, it literally would die out. People assume that. You know, because the Curragh is an iconic boat and it has that iconic imagery and association that, you know, they will always be there. So the seminar was the first step last year in, in reaching out to the different communities around the coast um, and saying, 
come to Cork and let's have a discussion, let's understand, let's create networks um, and understand what we're doing and, and ask that question, how, how do we go forward? And so one of the proposals from the, the, the discussion was let's, let's create an association that formalises this to a degree um, that recognises that everybody who's involved does it on a voluntary basis, um, has a limited, limited amount of time, but are connected by the passion of, of you know, the boat and, and its uses. So we decided, uh, the seminar concluded then with uh, a number of decisions, and one was to, to, to begin the process of formalising an association. So over the last 12 months, we had um, two meetings where, again, we tried to reconnect with, with, the, with, with people who had been at the first seminar, and we had representation from, from Cork, from Kerry, from Clare, from Galway, from Mayo, from um, Donegal, Armagh, um, Dublin, and, and the Boyne. So we, we felt we had, um, we had a broad, I suppose, um, representation. And we asked, we asked the question, you know, what are the aims or what are the outcomes or what are the, the reasons for, for this association? And um, one of the challenges that was put to us was, um, you know, how do we gain recognition for this? Um, and we started doing a little bit of research and that's where we came across the UNESCO um, heritage, you know, heritage or crafts or vessels that are under threat. Um, because we see this replicated across um, you know, different countries, different communities where, where essentially working boats which are no longer needed for working now because there are better materials or cheaper materials or faster materials um, being used, you know, so engines have replaced the, the need for you know, manpower or woman power in, in boats. Um, so it, it's, it's like this is a, a question that, that is relevant across the world is how do we ensure that we don't lose what helped us get to where we are and how, how can we sustain that? So it was very interesting to, to, to I suppose, start exploring that question and look to, to others who've, who've, you know, who have forged a road ahead you know, and, and the lessons we can learn from them. Yeah, I was surprised myself to look round there now and see that there were 11 different types of Corrux listed. Yeah, most, most people don't, don't know that. We're very familiar with, with two or three and, and, and black boats from a distance you know, with, with a similar shape. You know, everybody assumes they're the same, but um, there's, there's a couple of really good books that have been written. Uh, one that came out recently, which is actually over there um, by uh, the author's name escaped me, but you, you can look it up. Um, and, and he has looked back at Hornell's work, which was, you know, supposedly the definitive guide from the 30s, and he's found another two since. Um, and today we actually have um, two paddling currucks from Donegal, from Gola Island, and, um, and, and again, like minor differentiations, but, but adapted for local conditions. And you find that all along the West. Each boat is, is adapted for... Either they have no beaches and they have to be lifted high up out of the water, like down in, in, in Kerry, or um, they have less wood, such as in Donegal, and it's, it's hazel rods and a single gunnel, and, or it's paddling, or it's inshore. So, yeah, each community found different ways of, of making a curragh suitable for them. Um, and, and, and so part of the, the association's, I suppose, ambition is to, to build up an archive 
understand what's going on right now, which is very important. You know, how many people are going out paddling or rowing in Corrucks every day, every week. Um, you know, because we came across um, last year a community up in Dahuma in, in Mayo who started building uh, three-hand racing boats. Um, but then they realised they have their own kind of Aran-style boat that almost had died out and now they're building them as well, you know. Um, and, and, and they were looking to Nevoga, Corky and Mehlmora for like, oh, you know, these guys have it all figured out. But, you know, we're, we're just as, I suppose, we're just a larger version of, of what they're doing there. So the association will hopefully, you know, gather in this information and, um, you know, and, and, and again, using volu volunteers to, to kind of start knitting this together. And in time, our, our desire would be to have a living archive um, be that just digitally or, or, or in a building or, or you know, satellite locations of this where, where again, we can disseminate this information to, to the, the communities around where the, the boats, you know, are focused, you know, and, and to the, the, the broader Irish community, you know. You made a point that there are now leisure crafts as opposed to the working craft, but that that's very important to carry on the cultural knowledge to this generation. Yeah, so I've been rowing Corrucks for, I suppose, nigh on 14 years now um, in lots of different boats and lots of different conditions. Um, but I've never, I've never seen how a Corruck is used for fishing, you know, um, with, with nets or for lobster pots, you know. So, and, and this is where they came from, you know, or I've never carried, I've carried, you know, been part of a crew that's loaded down with camping material and, and food and we've gone to islands but we've never had a curl laden down with turf you know how does it handle or how do you tow like there's an iconic image of a basking shark being towed off the back of a cora up in in the Aran. how does the boat handle with livestock in it um you know what are the techniques you know what are what are the knowledge that we don't know now but maybe exists in books or in in folklore you know and, and i think these are very important things that um, stories and, and information that you know will will help uh, future generations when we're one step away, one generation away from people who who use the boats this way. But you know, as time goes on, you know it'll be further and further back. So I think you know there's there's almost an obligation upon us to to to, to provide a means for 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 recording this and and passing on the techniques and you know why. Uh, uh, why the transom of a boat was was dipped in such a way to allow a net be played out, or to allow, you know, um, the head of a, a cow rest on the the back transom as it's rowed across to an island, you know. Martin O'Donoghue, and you can read more about him in the July edition of the Marine Times due out later this week. And let's stay on a positive note after that encouraging account of the ongoing work to preserve the Currucks. And hear about the determination being shown by Aranmore Island to ensure its future. From Kogol Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, Rhoda Twombly has that story in her monthly report about what's happening on the offshore islands. Most of you are probably aware of the new broadband connection to Ironmore Island through the television ads run by the supplier, 3 Ireland. Broadband was badly needed not only to support existing island businesses, schools and healthcare, but to also try to attract members of the diaspora back home to a place where working remotely was possible. 
the Island Community Council has started a Bring Them Home campaign that has exceeded their expectations, with coverage being given in print and electronic media all around the world. They have received literally hundreds of inquiries about moving to the beautiful Donegal Island. It is hoped that this project will give Erin Moore the bright future it deserves. Minister of State Sean Kine visited Bear Island recently to officially launch the first phase of the Lone Hort Battery Conservation Project. Built in the 1900s, the battery was one of seven on Bear, built by the British Admiralty to protect their fleet in Bearhaven Harbour. Bear Island Projects Group instigated the conservation project, recognising the importance of the batteries historically and the value of Lone Hort as a tourist attraction. Springing from the interest in the battery, Bear is holding the Lone Hort Festival 29th to the 30th of June, including a lecture and tour of the battery, a park run event, a seaweed talk and tasting session, and a family cycle along a scenic 5k route. See bearisland.net for information. Hopefully, the weather will continue to improve as there are plenty of activities planned on the islands over the summer months. While at short notice, a trip out to Clare Island the 28th through the 30th of June for their dry stone wall weekend will be worthwhile. Learn how to build, maintain and repair stone walls during the day and enjoy Keologos crack at night. Hurry and book through nots.ie. If you can't make that though, Clare Island holds the Bard Summer School 3rd through the 6th of July. This is a truly interesting event themed around Irish myths their meaning and relevance in the modern world. For those bringing children along, there is also the children's bard. The kids get to fill their days with art, weaving, sport, music, dancing, and storytelling. The weekend also includes the annual Islanders' Night, full of local music, dancing, and poetry. Inish Turk holds the annual Pattern Day the 29th of June, this year, including the Galway Ramblers traditional music session. The first weekend of July is chock-a-block with activity on Turk, with the Walk and Aid of Western Care Association on the 6th, and the Island Angling Weekend starting the 5th. The highlight of the month will be Turk's Sea Fest and Regatta Weekend, the 20th through the 21st of July. Please see inishturk.com for details. The Paltroon is also being held down on Inishmore the last weekend of June. There are sporting activities all weekend, most famous being the Cork Races, a sight never to be forgotten. Inishboffin has been holding its summer school since 1984 and has gone from strength to strength. The Galway Atlantiquarium Summer School is a week of exploring the human and environmental history of the island with poets, writers, biologists, and marine biologists. I'm quite sure there's a bit of music and dancing thrown in as well, so have a look at uh, the nationalaquarium.ie to book. There's plenty more, but I'm out of time. Check the individual islands' Facebook pages, but it's slawn from the islands for now. Also from the islands, the first ever graphic history of the Fastnet Rock and its lighthouse has been produced by Cape Clear Island Cooperative on the southernmost tip of Ireland. The connection between the island and the Fastnet is an ancient one. The first Fastnet lighthouse was built on Cape Clear.
Now, would you like your family name to be on a lifeboat? It's possible. As Nia Stevenson, RNLI Public Affairs Manager, tells us in her monthly report from the Irish Lifeboat Headquarters at Swords in County Dublin. There are a few ways to identify RNLI lifeboats, but unless you're lifeboat crew, you may only know one. Each lifeboat has its own operational number and a boat number. However, most of us, when we talk about our lifeboats, use their name, sometimes dropping the surname in an affectionate nod to the vessel. In this, we are giving the lifeboat a personality while also acknowledging the donor who made it possible. Having your name on a lifeboat is a very special honour. And the RNLI is now extending that privilege to everyone through the Launch a Memory initiative. Through this, a loved one's name will be proudly displayed on an RNLI Shannon's Hull as part of 10,000 names. The name will be there with our crews every single time they launch. The donation in a loved one's memory to put the name on the Shannon can be large or small with a suggestion of €30. Euro, and there is a limit of one name per donation. To launch a memory with the RNLI, a loved one's name needs to be registered before the 18th of November. However, if the RNLI reaches 10,000 names before this date, it may come sooner. And the RNLI will also send updates on the Shannon's progress to supporters who've submitted a name. For further details on this, people can log on to the RNLI's website, rnli.org. As I record this, the wonderful and unflappable Mary Hickey is on the last stage of her second Map of the Lap. This time around, Mary is cycling the coastline of Ireland to raise funds for the Ornali and has been stopping in to say hello at the stations she ran by on her first lap of the map. So far, she's only had one puncture and one emergency trip to the dentist. The last leg is from Malinhead to her home in Arklow. The reason for part two is that Mary is trying to smash the €100,000 mark. And she might just do it as her current total stands just shy of €78,000. Her link for donations is on everydayhero.com and you'll find her by searching for Lap of the Map. Even if she doesn't reach her target, she's still a hero to us and has made hundreds of Oranali friends for life. It's been a busy June for our lifeboat crews and as always, the type of call-outs vary from station to station. A quick snapshot of just one week makes interesting reading. In that window of time, launches took place at Loch Ree, Clifton, Castletown Bear, Carry Bridge, Portrush, Larne, Dunleary, Crosshaven, Kilmore Quay, Wicklow, Rosslare and the Aran Islands. It's a head-spinning list and just one week in the lives of our RNLI crews. We hope for safe outcomes and, as always, are extremely grateful to the men and women on our lifeboats. Neil Stevenson from the RNLI. So far on the programme, we've been to Aranmore Island, the Curragh Seminar in Cork, Swords and County Dublin. And now we'll look overseas as well as around the Irish coast as Justin Marr brings us his roundup of other maritime news.
Ireland's ocean economy is close to reaching the government's target for 2020. It currently has a turnover of 6.2 billion euro, according to the latest report from the Socio-Economic Marine Research Unit at NUI Galway. The 2020 target, outlined in the Integrated Marine Plan for Ireland, is an Irish ocean economy worth more than 6.4 billion euro next year. Dr Stephen Hines, co-author of the report, says that the ocean economy has developed at a faster rate than the rest of the economy in recent years. The ocean economy industries, they tend to have a higher growth rate than the general economy now since approximately 2015 to 2018. So that has become less dramatic, that difference. And this year now is about 1% or 2% greater in terms of growth than the general economy. 2018 now, which is the most recent year we have figures for, year on year, the international cruise market saw the largest increase in turnover, followed by the oil and gas exploration and production at 29%. And within the more emerging markets, marine commerce had a very strong year in 2018 with a growth of 27%. So they'd have seen the strongest growth across the board. Scientists investigating a Stone Age landscape at the bottom of the North Sea have found evidence of tools which show for the first time that humans lived in that area. It's believed there were people living by the water and the area was swallowed up by the sea in around 6000 BC. Two stone artefacts discovered by the Lost Frontiers Project, a European research team featuring scientists from University College Cork, show for the first time that the area was used by humans. The first artefact was a small piece of flint, which was possibly the waste product of toolmaking. The second was a larger piece from the edge of a stone hammer. The scientists also found several large samples of peat and ancient wood, which they say strongly suggests a prehistoric woodland once stood in the area. The project has spent the past two years recreating and modelling the areas they surveyed, a fact that team member Dr Benjamin Geary, an environmental archaeologist from UCC, says was vital for this and future discoveries in the area. I think the most important thing and the one that perhaps has been a big question for a while is, is what is down there? And by that, I mean what archaeological material is down there. We know there's this landscape that is at least partially preserved beneath the seabed. But the question is, where is the archaeological material? We know over the years that material has been recovered. It's come up in the nets of trawlers, for example, the bones of animals and sometimes archaeological material, but they're just chance finds. So for me, at least, the importance of what we've done, or what the project has done more accurately, is not really the archaeological remains. It's actually the process that has led us to be in a position that we can now prospect for uh, archaeological sites and material that are below the present seabed, so prehistoric sites that were drowned as the sea level rose. So it's really that most fundamental of all archaeological expeditions, which is having a map. And previously, we didn't have a map of the seabed. You know, we might have had a map of the, the bathymetry, but that is, of course, the present seabed. And what we're looking at is below the seabed, so the landscape that was submerged beneath both the water and, and the, the present seabed itself. And that's what we've been able to map, and that's what has led us to be able to go out and actually start to try and look for sites and look for finds. Europesh, the representative body for fishermen in the European Union, which claims to represent 45,000 vessels and 80,000 fishermen, both artisanal and large-scale, has rejected as a bit far-fetched the United Nations Expert Group report on biodiversity and ecosystems, which said that the European fishing industry had contributed to an unprecedented decline in nature. Europesh says that fishing poses no threat to the long-term preservation of marine resources. Fisheries management has enabled fish stocks to generally increase in many areas, and they are now 36% higher than in 2003, the organisation stated.
Daniel Vosses, managing director of Europesh, said that no marine fish had ever become extinct due to fishing. Fishermen would go bankrupt before any commercial species is fully extinct, meaning that the last one will not be caught, he said. The report overestimates fisheries' impact on global biodiversity. Analysis has found that the footprint of fishing worldwide is less than 4%, not the 55% claimed by the UN. Wild-caught seafood has a low environmental impact because it does not require artificial feed, water, antibiotics or pesticides, he continued. Finally, the 36-metre-high Vezin d'Amont on the Selun River is being removed as part of a long-term project to bring salmon, eels and other wildlife back to the river and the famous Bay of Mont-Saint-Michel, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and one of Europe's prime tourist attractions. The removal of the dam, as well as another old obsolete dam, La Roche-Quibois, over the next two years is intended to open up 90 kilometres of the river improving water quality, allowing migratory salmon to return to their ancient spawning grounds, and benefiting people and nature all along the river. Justin Marr reporting. And Safe Haven Marine, based here in Yole, has postponed the planned transatlantic record attempt by its vessel Thunderchild 2. We're not able to meet the weather and sea ice window deadline in time for this year, so have postponed the summer 2020, the Yole-based company has announced. Next to angling, one of the biggest participants of sports in the country, Miles Kelly reports each month from Inland Fisheries Ireland, the state body. And there is concern about salmon returning to Irish rivers with signs of bleeding and skin ulceration. A small number of salmon are returning to Irish rivers with signs of an unknown disease. The infected fish can be clearly identified from bleeding and scabs along the belly. Norway and Scotland have also reported salmon with a red rash skin disease in recent months, so the issue is not peculiar to Ireland. We first had reports of six salmon in Irish rivers in early June, and by the middle of the month, salmon were turning up to rivers on the east and west coast with signs of the infection. Thankfully, the numbers of fish involved is quite small, but it does seem to be widespread. It's still not known what the cause of the disease is. Inland Fisheries Ireland is working with the Fish Health Unit in the Marine Institute to sample live salmon in affected rivers to determine the cause of this skin disease. One line of investigation is to establish if it's linked to a deficiency in some essential mineral or vitamin caused by a change in diet at sea. And there may also be a link to water quality and water temperature. So what should you do if you catch one of these salmon? Well, until the cause of the disease has been determined and the risk of spreading the disease established, affected salmon should not be removed from the water. Instead, contact Inland Fisheries Ireland immediately. After that, take steps to prevent the spread of the disease and disinfect your tackle, waders and equipment. Anglers and fishery owners are asked to forward any reports or photographs of sick salmon to salmonhealth at fisheriesireland.ie or call Inland Fisheries Ireland on 1890 347424. Staying with salmon, and in a more upbeat story, the fisheries resource will come to life at the Natural History Museum in Dublin this summer. Fishy Fun is a free event on the 20th of July that will present loads of fun-filled fishy activities for all the family. Inland Fisheries Ireland and the Natural History Museum have teamed up for the one-day event as part of International Year of the Salmon. 
Fishy fun will take place from 10am to 4pm on Saturday, 20th of July, at the Natural History Museum in Dublin. If you go, you might catch a fish, get up close and personal with the bugs and insects that live in our rivers, learn fun facts about fish and much more. As part of the event, children and schools are also invited to enter a national colouring competition. The Salmon of Colour competition will be available in the museum and online during the summer months. The winner will receive a €100 Euro voucher. To find out more about International Year of the Salmon or to register an event, visit yearofthesalmon.org. To learn more about what is happening in Ireland and how you can get involved, visit fisheriesireland.ie forward slash IYS. In angling news, the sea has come alive in the last few weeks and charter boats from the top of Donegal to Galway Bay, West Cork and around to Dungarvan and then back up to Wicklow have been reporting some great fishing. The sea temperatures are now up and summer species are returning to our shores. Close behind them are the sharks and we've had great reports of blue shark and poor beagle in East and West Cork already. Over the last few weeks we've had some great coarse fishing too and from all parts of the country. There has been some super bream fishing reported, both in festivals and from pleasure anglers. What's great to see is the spread of locations with good bream reports coming in from Cork to the mid-Shannon and up to Longford across Cavan and Monaghan. Some super tench catches were also reported and it looks like it might be a year for big roach too. Finally, a shout out to the Irish boat angling team. These intrepid sea anglers were in Weymouth earlier in June where they competed in the Home Nations Championships. They led from the off and romped home convincing winners. Well done to Dan Lynch, Heiko Dreyer, Padraig Clear, Pat Condon, David McCormack, Pat Wright and manager Liam O'Callaghan. And of course, well done to all the men and women in the Irish Federation of Sea Anglers who have achieved so much on the international stage over the years. Well, that's all from me this week. Safe fishing to all and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly ending this edition of the Maritime Programme This Island Nation produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM Clare on Radio Corka Boschkeen, in Kilkenny on Kilkenny City Community Radio and Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM and on Cork City Community Radio and West Cork Gateway FM Bandon with podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie and there's a special monthly edition for visually impaired listeners on the National Council for the Blind's audio magazine. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. And you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com or by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. And there's a weekly blog on Facebook. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>